Hey, I'm Andy. If you don't know me, it's probably because I'm not famous. But I did start a men's grooming company called Harry's. The idea for Harry's came out of a frustrating experience I had buying razor blades. Most brands were overpriced, overdesigned, and out of touch. At Harry's, our approach is simple. Here's our secret. We make sharp, durable blades and sell them at honest prices for as low as $2 each. We care about quality so much that we do some crazy things, like buy a world-class German blade factory. Obsessing over every detail means we're confident in offering a 100% quality guarantee. Millions of guys have already made the switch to Harry's, so thank you if you're one of them. And if you're not, we hope you give us a try with this special offer. Get a Harry starter set with a five-blade razor, weighted handle, shave gel, and a travel cover, all for just three bucks, plus free shipping. Just go to harrys.com and enter 5,000 at checkout. That's harrys.com, code 5,000. Enjoy. We welcome back in the new year a good friend to the program and all of ours personally as well as professionally, Scott and Paul, who is president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing. The AAM is a partnership that was established by some of America's leading manufacturers and the United Steelworkers Union. And for years now, Scott and the AAM have worked to make American manufacturing a top-of-mind issue for voters and our national leaders through effective advocacy, innovative research, and a savvy PR strategy. More than a pleasure to have back on the show Scott and Paul, president of the AAM. Scott, happy new year. Good afternoon. Welcome back. Good to have you with us. Happy 2016, Leslie. Great to be with you again. Though I have to admit, I'm a little bummed with the passing of David Bowie. What an an amazing artist and... Really iconic figure, great music. Oh, I'm I'm totally with you. You know, when I was a kid, my dad had one of his records when he was extremely androgynous, and I remember thinking, why does my dad like this guy? He's wearing <laughs> makeup and dressing like a girl. But definitely somebody who was uh, very artistic, even up until the very end. What last week? Uh, you know, had a video on his deathbed. Yeah, very very artistic. Uh, yeah, very very talented. Yeah, right, a Broadway musical and a new album. So yeah, yeah pretty, and, and pretty pretty stunning stuff. Also makes you feel, uh, Scott. I think you and I are similar in age. Uh, made, made me feel a little old today. <laughs> yeah. Well, if, you, if you've seen all the iterations of it from beginning to end, pretty remarkable career and how you know he reinvented himself constantly. But I, I still remember, you know, one of the best live shows I ever saw was David Bowie. Just what an amazing artist, and so feel very fortunate to have. Witness that, and I'm sure many of your uh, your fans and listeners do as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we have an election year, as you know, and uh, in an election year, the you know Democrats such as myself look to the candidates on the left, and Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders aren't that far apart. And certainly there's only two, I should say three, Martin O'Malley, but they're definitely the front runners. Um, But even though Donald Trump is leaving the fray on the right with Republicans, I think it's important for voters to be educated and to know because our audience is people of all different uh, backgrounds and walks of life. And there are people out there unhappy with their party left or right or people who don't subscribe to any specific uh, party's ideology. And and they want to hear the facts. They want to know where people uh, stand. Um, Let's talk about the Republicans on the right, specifically the political landscape on the right with regard to trade and how these presidential candidates on the right, the Republican presidential candidates, are approaching the issue of trade. And and I think it's important for us to look at this because some people look at the president and say, on paper, trade-wise, especially with TPP, he looks like 
what many would have in the past you know, considered more of a Republican uh, way of approaching trade. Uh, so let's look at the Republican presidential candidates and uh, their approach to the trade issue. It's a good question, and look, if you ask voters what's the most important issue to you, they'll, you know, they might say the economy, they might say jobs, they might say terrorism or security or crime or, or guns or education, and not many of them, admittedly, are likely to blurt out trade, but when, when you dive into some of the economic anxiety, a lot of people feel it, uh, and a lot, of, a lot of middle class people feel it. Uh, and uh, a lot of people in uh, the, those early primary states field as well. So it does become uh, an important issue. Uh, and so far... And Scott, let me, let me jump in for a sec, because sure. correct me if I'm wrong. With those that you listed, the economy, jobs, and national security, trade really much has, uh, trade pretty much has all three of those components within uh, various proposals, or the, just the umbrella, under the umbrella of the issue of trade. No, that's exactly right, and so it is a – I think a lot of people, it's easier for them to say jobs or security or the economy because, you know, they probably look at trade policy and say, well, what can I do about that? You know, I'm just – you know, even, you know, there, are there these global forces out there that we have no control over? And I'll add that, you know, China is another factor, and when people see the, the turmoil happening in the markets there uh, and what happens to their 401Ks, but actually it affects our factories as well, uh, then they do take another look. And so, you know, the, the presidential debates haven't gotten at, at this issue, like many other, uh, in any deep and detailed way. Uh, but, but I think that they might, as they start getting to South Carolina and to, you know, past Iowa and New Hampshire into, into states like Ohio. But so far, look, Trump, Trump, Trump gets the most attention out there. Uh, Trump's been very aggressive on trade policy, uh, and he's uh, he's criticized NAFTA, he's criticized China. Uh, you know, if you look at the policy prescriptions on his website, uh, there's like five or six of them, uh, and 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 trade is one of them. I, I I'll say, Leslie, I don't like the way he talks about it. I, I think he talks about it in a very xenophobic way, uh, in in a. The, and as, as with everything that goes along with Trump, you know, there's a, there's a little bit of hyperbole uh, and bluster. Uh, but I think he does understand that there's a, there are a lot of people who have really legitimate anxiety about what's happening on trade policy, uh, and and he's probably more forcefully uh, than any other Republican to this point uh, articulated a point of view about it. Uh, Scott, so people understand what comes out of Trump's mouth regarding trade is very different than his actions have been as a businessman and business owner and, and, and you know CEO of Trump Enterprises over the past years uh, with regard to trade, though, and shipping jobs overseas and having factories overseas like Mexico, China, to produce his goods, correct? Oh, there's no doubt about that. And he, yeah, his his ties, his suits made in Mexico, made in China. Uh, I mean, like almost every other candidate, his campaign bling is made in the United States. I mean, that would be really stupendously dumb if you were if you were a candidate with a "Make America Great Again" slogan and you went out and had it made in China. But um, so I'll give him minimal credit for that. Uh, but but yeah, he does not practice what he preaches. 
And I will say, as a businessman himself working in construction, um, you know, to, to my knowledge, uh, you know, he doesn't have a policy that says, I, I need the glass or the steel for my buildings uh, to come from the United States of America. Now, he says he wants this, but I, I'm not sure that in practice uh, that, that, he's, that he's done that um, all the time. And, and we've seen, Leslie, when you look back at campaigns, that candidates – uh, like Trump, have, have used the trade issue before. You think about Ross Perot, you think about Pat Buchanan, and unfortunately it comes along with this other really ugly package of xenophobic, anti-immigrant uh, rhetoric uh, that's, that's not helpful uh, overall to the cause. Now, flip side, and you mentioned uh, Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders. I mean, they've been talking about it. They get nearly as much attention about it, but, but Hillary Clinton came out the... Pr- came out against the proposed Trans-Pacific Partnership, um, uh, which, which puts her at odds with, uh, with the administration she, she left. Uh, and Bernie Sanders has been, you know, at, at, at almost every one of his rallies, uh, he talks about the Trans-Pacific Partnership and how uh, he, he's opposed to it. And so certainly, uh, and as you indicated, Leslie, you know, the Democratic candidates uh, are, are, very, are very close in the polls, and, they, and they've both been uh, mentioning this to, uh, to some degree as well. Um, let's talk about this um, looking at we're going to take a break when we come back let's talk about this uh, split in the fundamental principles and identity of the Republicans and the different candidates and whether or not this is uh, you know business as usual or a bit different and even more historic a split at this time regarding trade and regarding Republicans we'll be back with Scott Paul and we'll be back with you don't go away Leslie Marshall Real people, real life, real talk. Give her a call now at 888-6-LESLIE. confession and i am still married to him my husband's band did a cover of this song and i said no 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 there are certain songs you can't do this is one of them anyway scott and paul's our guest president of the alliance for american manufacturing the aam scott thank you for holding welcome back some of those songs some songs are sacrilegious you know what i'm saying scott (laughs) i hear you i hear you when when i heard him i was like no 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 i was looking around i was afraid you know but it worked out um uh let let's uh let's talk we have uh, so many different issues uh to talk about but before we leave uh from republicans have you ever seen so much of a spectrum among republican talk on trade uh, compared to the past. I mean, not everybody is exactly in step with each other, um, as we can see from the array of comments that are being made, um, especially, and you had even mentioned Donald Trump. Do you, do you think it's more of an array this time of opinions with Republicans? I mean, they're not 100% exactly walking step in step with each other? Yeah, there, there's, there's certainly been some stepping out from what the, what the party elites would want, uh, uh, want folks to believe. I guess here's the secret, because oftentimes, Leslie, you know, in the, trade debates, like if it's NAFTA or China or the TPP, it's like how the Democrats are divided, like Obama's for it. The congressional Democrats are against it. With China, it was Clinton's for it. 
congressional Democrats are against it. Same with NAFTA. But but the the, the real true story is, I mean, be, uh, among Democrats, there's broad skepticism about uh, free trade, free trade agreements, or whether or not trade deli- trade has delivered jobs. Now, among Republicans, I think this is what most people don't know, is that when, when Republicans are polled about trade, they feel just as strongly as Democratic voters. They don't think trade, they, they don't like NAFTA, they don't like the, the China agreement, they don't like TPP, they don't think trade has helped America, but it's not reflected in their candidates. Uh, and I think that's, that's one of the interesting things about this election, is that it's not only Trump, I know, I think Ted Cruz has come out against the TPP because he doesn't trust Obama, which, which is kind of a novel reason to be against something. But there's also skepticism uh, that uh, certainly uh, Mike Huckabee, uh, Rick Santorum, uh, some of those candidates have as well. Carly Fiorina, I think, is also skeptical about the TPP. And, and this, is, this is what makes it really interesting. These candidates are out there talking to voters every day. And so they're obviously hearing this from voters, but when they step into the fundraisers and they're talking with all the bigwigs who are funding the campaigns, they're, they're saying to them, you've got to be for the TPP. And so the problem is, after all the votes have, accounted, have been counted and one of these candidates gets elected, is that they, they tend to forget about the voters uh, and go with their donors. Uh, and that's been the real problem that we've seen with trade policy over the last couple of decades in our country. One of the things I think we're seeing as well is the ideas by candidates, especially on the right, that manufacturing, they're not speaking of it in the modern way that manufacturing exists, right? Um, I mean, I think they, they talk about, you know, manufacturing jobs in a way that manufacturing is something that is in the past, and that's not true. It is present. Uh, in other words... They, they talk about it almost as if it doesn't or hasn't existed in America for a very long time, and that isn't true. So talk to us, because I think a lot of people may view, especially who are in manufacturing or concerned about trade, that Republicans oversimplify the problems and ignore the real facts and the real source of the trouble with regard to trade, and not only regard to trade, but with regard to manufacturing and why manufacturing not, hasn't it has not disappeared, but why manufacturing has, why we're not leaders in manufacturing right now? That's a good question, and it makes me think of something Marco Rubio said. He gave a speech in Iowa at a factory, and he's very excited about robots and industrial automation. And he also said we don't want to raise the minimum wage because it means that more jobs will be taken over by, by robots. And look, history shows you know, productivity automation, they always happen, but we're usually gener- able to generate enough other jobs in the economy to make up for that. The, the, the difference is that we're losing our share, and we're losing it to, to, to China. And so uh, Rubio doesn't have the exact right view as well. I remember in 2008 uh, when when John McCain, the Republican standard bearer, was basically saying manufacturing, we don't need it. Those jobs are never coming back. And boy, boy, did he take a beat down at the polls. uh, And and Obama certainly put that in ads uh, that that, that helped it along. I don't think you're going to see a Republican candidate say that again. Uh, But you do see some kind of outlandish claims made like, well, it's the unions that are causing manufacturing job loss, ignoring the fact that Germany has more unions than the United States in manufacturing. They seem to be doing fine. Or it's our regulation, or it's our, our it, it might, or it's our tax policy. When, uh, quite honestly, 
at the root of it all uh, is it, it tends to be trade policy, and, and there's a lot of other issues that can make manufacturing more competitive, uh, but, but a lot of these candidates tend to shy away from talking very honestly about trade, in part because of the conversation we had before. They hear one thing from voters, which is a lot of skepticism. They hear another thing from their donors, which is we want, uh, we want these trade agreements because we'll be able to invest more overseas uh, and, uh, and use that cheap labor to bring products back. Uh, and so it puts the candidates in a real quandary. And I wish one of these days a debate moderator would, would wise up to that fact uh, because it would make for an interesting conversation. Now, I think it's a, a, an excellent point that you make that the moderator should do that because I think a lot of Americans believe that the main driver of uh, domestic job loss, and especially manufacturing, is outsourcing. And that's what we constantly hear. We've heard Huckabee say that. We've heard some of the other candidates say that. We've heard a lot of politicians say that. Heck, some on the left has probably even said that. Um, Even though some of the jobs lost are a result of outsourcing, should it be reemphasized? And like you said, is that a point where they say, wait, wait, wait a minute, it's outsourcing is not number one. We need to look at these trade deals, and then that can steer the conversation and also educate the American people. Because unfortunately, uh, many people out there, whether they vote or not, and you know, even sadly more so, if it is somebody who votes, I, I think are believing some of these sound bites or you know that that are coming from the candidates that aren't accurate. That's right. I mean, this is like we kind of view ourselves as the fact checkers uh, on this because there are so many outlandish claims made. And and what we find we end up having to do is to explain what's causing job loss and what's not. For instance, robots haven't eaten most of our jobs for the last 15 years. I mean, you know, there are industrial robots. That's true. But the most of those jobs definitely went overseas, and most of those jobs that went overseas went to China. And we also had something called two recessions, you know, where, where we had a lot of people laid off because uh, the rest of the folks in the economy weren't buying many things that were made in America or elsewhere. Uh, and so the, the challenges are pretty nuanced, but the fact that uh, some of the candidates will try to find a scapegoat, whether it's regulation uh, or unions, uh, that, that tends not to be the, the real reason why we're losing these jobs, uh, because they want to dance around the issue that really matters, but it makes them uncomfortable, and that's trade policy. All right, Scott, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back to talk more about this. You want to join us? Scott will be with us into the next half of this segment and the first hour here on the only true democracy in talk radio. Second, sorry, 888-6-LESLIE, 888-653-7543. It's Monday. Give us a buzz. Follow me on Twitter at Leslie Marshall. Follow Scott at Scott Paul AAM. Back after this. President of the Alliance for American Manufacturing, Scott and Paul. We're talking about manufacturing. We're talking about trade. We're talking about politics and politicians in this election year and what their approach is on the trade trade issue. And, and also, we were just talking about the automation argument, robots versus workers. Uh, and, you know, when we talk about that, also how out of touch some of these candidates are on the reality of manufacturing and what's causing job loss in the manufacturing sector. And
and number one is not uh, the shipment of jobs uh, overseas. Uh, thank you for holding, Scott. Uh, welcome back. The president is going to be giving his last State of the Union address, and I I want to know, first of all, looking back over the past years in the State of the Union, what are, tell us about some highs and some lows with regard to the president and trade and specifically manufacturing, what he has touched upon in, in an address that you applauded, uh, what he neglected to, or things maybe he had said that you and the AAM were not pleased with. Yeah, that's a good question because this will be his uh, valedictory uh, address, and I think he'll focus a bit on some of the things that uh, – some of the accomplishments that, that he's most proud of. I, and I will say this as well. That in, you know, there was a period in, you know, 2010, 2011, 2012, 2013, where the president really emphasized manufacturing. In fact, uh, it, it served as the starring role uh, in, uh, you know, in at least one of those speeches and, and, and would have been best supporting actor or actress in some of the others. Uh, and so... So he did uh, give, give a lot of attention, uh, outlined some detailed, pol- detailed policies on innovation, skills and training, uh, infrastructure. Uh, you know, he talks about fighting for fair trade. Um, and, uh, and, and just recognizing the value of manufacturing to our economy, which I think a lot of uh, elites and economists uh, d- d- don't agree with. They say, look, our, our days of manufacturing are past. We need to move on to something else. And the, and the president kind of uh, said, no, manufacturing is important. Um, and so I think all of that's very good. I, 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 the challenge that I have is that, you know, along the way, the president's made a number of pledges, policy proposals. He's, he's been able to enact some. Congress has blocked others. But one thing that he pointed out, he did this more on the campaign trail than anywhere else, is that he would seek to create a million, one million new manufacturing jobs in his second term uh, and set that out as a goal. Um, and uh, and so, so that goal was set, but unfortunately, uh, he's not going to get there. Uh, and it's not that he's just going to barely miss it. It's that he's going to come up way short um, right now. Uh, we're at about uh, 300 and uh, a little, little north of 380,000 manufacturing jobs that have been created in the second term, uh, and that's after three years. So there's there's no way that, that uh, even under the, the rosiest scenario, uh, that, that 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 we can make up the difference um, right now. But I and that's I, I think that's my my major criticism is that when you set out a goal, you need to have policies, ideas, uh, actions to kind of back that up. And some of this, yes, he needed Congress, and he got, got some done uh, in Congress on, uh, on, on new, innova- new investments in innovation and research and development. Uh, but, but the big mess, quite honestly, has been on trade. Uh, and we've racked up a big trade deficit with China. We have a record trade deficit in manufactured goods. Uh, and right there, Leslie, you have the major reasons why we're falling short uh, on manufacturing jobs. Uh, and so, I, you know, it, it's, it's a little bittersweet um, to see the end of this because early on in the administration, he gave a lot of attention uh, to manufacturing, to the auto sector uh, in particular. And we're closing out here uh, with, with something that is, uh, you know, that, that fits on a little bit of a, a down note. 
Do you feel the president, with regard to this, and I'm, I'm sure other uh, situations, because it's his last, he's not running for president. In a sense, he has nothing to lose. I mean, you know, I, I, mean, I don't think there's anything he could really say that would hurt any of those on the left. And obviously, Hillary Clinton is the front runner uh, that's running, uh, you know, in his party. Um, but you know, what, what would be really gutsy and you know ballsy and going out on a limb for him to say with regard to jobs? Uh, manufacturing, and even TPP, which he has supported. Yeah. Well, I, I don't expect him to reverse course on TPP. I think that would be pretty shocking. Um, but I do think that particularly uh, when it comes to China, uh, he could uh, lay out some ideas on sitting down with the Chinese government um, and Working to cut the trade deficit, uh, start to cut the trade deficit in half, um, which would make a big difference for American manufacturing. Because right now, uh, we have a hard time accessing the Chinese market, uh, even when the market is doing well uh, in China. Uh, and on the contrary, when China gets into economic trouble, uh, all of its, its uh, excess goods um, end up uh, in the United States of America. And that causes uh, an extraordinary amount of dislocation in manufacturing. It's caused millions of job losses. Uh, it's caused uh, downward pressure on wages, uh, a lot of factory closures. And those are jobs that are really, really hard to get back. Because the president's not running for re-election, it was clear in his uh, interview with Jake Tapper on CNN regarding the State of the Union, uh, not his actually, the White House Chief of Staff, Dennis McDonough, um, he, he said basically the president is going to position this speech as the American people against Congress, or that the American people really need to you know, be aware of, change the dynamic of, and, you know, push Congress, who they are the employers of with their tax dollars and their votes, uh, to do something. And, you know, he talks about many issues of which he's had and, or signed executive orders as far as he can go, closing uh, Guantanamo Bay, gun control, things that he's done to go around Congress. What can the American people and what should the American people push for and expect from their congressional leaders going forward in the years ahead in the House and the Senate? Yes, I and look here. I think that there is some um, some blame to be apportioned, um, and, and there are a lot of issues on the table. But I think here's a here's a couple of missed opportunities, and here's some things that uh, could could be done in the future. Uh, one is certainly getting congressional authorization authorization to crack down on China's currency manipulation, um, which would be very helpful to American manufacturing. Uh, the second would be to uh, invest more in our nation's infrastructure. Uh, Congress just passed a five-year bill, uh, and so this is something that's likely off the table for a while. But that five-year bill is going to do not much more than patch the existing potholes that we have. It's not going to uh, move our infrastructure into the 21st century. Uh, and I think a, a third component, I think this is uh, critically important, uh, is on economic policy. First on taxes to make sure that uh, our companies that are bringing jobs back to the United States receive some tax benefit for that, uh, and, and there's some tax penalty for shipping jobs overseas. Uh, and then the, 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 the other part of that is to find mechanisms to uh, support 
the efforts of companies that are investing in their workers, that are investing in their skills and training, uh, and that are trying to upskill those workers or make sure that we have a new generation of uh, manufacturing workers uh, that are capable of, uh, of joining, you know, high-tech manufacturing right now. And, and I don't think any of these issues, uh, honestly, are particularly partisan, uh, but it's about having the political will uh, and the priorities and the willing to believe that there is some role for government uh, and public policy uh, in complex issues like this that are really hard for any individual companies or states to, to solve on their own. With regard to the State of the Union and with regard to congressional members, so that people understand, because we have talked about this before, how important and, and how does it affect we, the individual person, the individual voter, when there is currency manipulation such as China is regularly practicing now. Give us a little glimpse into what the future is, because I think sometimes people think China way over there, oh, I'm trying not to buy things made in China. I don't think they understand how much the currency manipulation plays into the American economy, loss of jobs, and then trickles down, if you will, into the household or taking away from the household of, of all of us here in the United States. Yeah, Leslie, that's a really good question. It is probably hard for a lot of people to wrap their heads around it, you know, unless you're someone who travels overseas, and then you personally have an experience with exchange rates. And you like it when the dollar is worth a lot more uh, and is rising in value because it allows you to buy a bigger hotel room or to pay less for it, uh, relatively speaking, than you otherwise would when you're traveling to a place like Mexico or France or wherever. But when it comes to trade, uh, exchange rates also matter, uh, and they can make products either artificially more expensive or artificially cheaper. And this is exactly what's hap- what happens with the United States and China. The United States, our currency, freely traded all over the world, uh, and the government generally doesn't intervene in our currency markets uh, in any way on exchange rates. And there's only been maybe two or three instances over the last 25 years where, where it's ever, ever intervened in it. China, the government intervenes almost every day uh, to, to adjust the exchange rate to, to keep it within a certain level. And since August, the, 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 the China's exchange rate with the United States has fallen 6%. Now, if you're an American living in Shanghai, that's great news because you're paying less rent than you were in August. But if you're an American manufacturer, you're trying to sell a good into China, uh, you now have an additional essentially 6% tax on your good trying to get in. And if you're, say, a steel company in the United States competing against Chinese steel coming in, that Chinese steel is receiving an artificial 6% discount. Uh, and it makes it much more likely that you're not going to be able to uh, keep workers on the job or you're going to be under pressure to cut their wages. Uh, and so that's the impact it has. And just take that steel mill and, and apply it to every other industry, and there you have what one of the challenges is. And that's part of the reason why in manufacturing, even though the private sector last year created you know, 2.65 million jobs, and, that, and that's under President Obama, uh, and, and that deserves some recognition. But out of those 2.65 million jobs that were created in the United States last year, only 30,000, 30,000 were in manufacturing. That's about 1.1%, which is an astonishingly low number. And a lot of that, a lot of that, again, is due to what's happening in China, 
and also the way in which they manage their currency. And we can put a stop to it. We can tell China, you can't do that, or otherwise we'll start shutting off access to our markets. Something President Obama promised to do, but unfortunately hasn't delivered on. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll continue our discussion. You want to join us? Just one more segment with Scott Paul, president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing. You can check out the website, AmericanManufacturing.org. On Twitter, follow Scott at Scott Paul AAM. I'm Leslie Marshall. Don't go away. Back in a moment with Scott and you right after this. Also, tweet me at Leslie Marshall. I'll incorporate your tweets throughout the hour. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of truth. The Leslie Marshall Show. Give her a call now at 888-6-LESLIE. With Scott and Paul, president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing. Monday callers uh, trickle in sometimes. We have some tweets as well. Scott, let's take some of those. Uh, we posted of the over 2 million jobs created in 2015, only 30,000 were in manufacturing and asked for fo- uh, Fox, uh, folks to uh, share their thoughts. Uh, Tommy uh, tweeted, if we aren't willing to compete for wages, we won't win the competition. There's nothing magical about it. Th- do you have any response to that? Yeah, yeah. Obviously, wages matter to some extent, but given how complex a lot of manufactured goods are today, uh, generally the cost of energy, the cost of capital uh, are, are a lot bigger factor. In fact, in, in a lot of manufactured products, only 10% of the cost is labor. Uh, and, and so it's one of the easier things to control. And those, those, those wage rates, while they do matter some, uh, they may matter less than a lot of other things. Uh, and so it's important to have skilled workers. That's important. But the idea that the United States can cut wages or cut unions and be, be successful in manufacturing uh, is just not borne out by the facts. Mike also tweets in response to the same uh, question we posed uh, regarding the over 2 million jobs created last year. How many were part-time and under $15 an hour? Are we always going to have somebody trying to look at the glass half empty instead of half full? You may not have exact stats on that, but the majority of jobs were not part-time jobs. Uh, how about entry-level jobs uh, of the jobs that were created last year? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I don't have the numbers at my fingertips, but I, I do know that it's fair to say, and I've seen a lot of economic analysis that supports this as well, is that, yeah, I think there, there's a lot of these jobs that are being created in the service sector uh, that, that are not what you would call family-supporting jobs. They're not paying great wages. Uh, there was not a lot of pressure on wages to move up uh, over the last year. Uh, and so that's why these debates about inequality, wages, the minimum wage, uh, the w- workers' rights to organize, and also the kind of pressure we're feeling from globalization on, on wages, these are important debates because, I mean, we're not going to have, like, a robust middle class um, unless we do have a, num- have a number of these jobs in higher wage occupations. I think that, that's absolutely true. 
Aslan Connect wants to be funny and thinks we want to organize robots into a nationwide union with your Marco Rubio remark. Uh, remark. Um, and uh, Howard uh, responded uh, to how are Republican presidential candidates approaching the trade issue? And Howard said, hopefully with a mind towards a free market based upon freedom of association. He's a Rand Paul fan. Uh, what do you think about that, a mind towards free market? You know, the free market is great in principle. There, there's no doubt about it, uh, and there's lots of benefits to free trade uh, in principle. You know, it's the way that, you know, trade is the way we get things like, you know, bananas and most of our coffee and all of that. So, look, I'm all for it. The challenge is, in the real world, uh, it, it's not a philosophy. It's a, you know, there are industries that governments, governments support uh, that we face. And so you have our private sector companies competing against the government of China, and that is certainly not the free market. Uh, and that's, that's the issue that we're trying to get at uh, with currency manipulation and some of these other policies. Uh, another uh, tweets, the better tech technology gets, the fewer jobs that will be required. Um, do you think that manufacturing jobs will suffer as technological uh, progress is made and Silicon Valley grows, and we have more Silicon Valleys now, right? We have one now in Venice Beach, California, developing and elsewhere in the country. Or, or is this apples and oranges? Because, you know, uh, in, in the tech field, some of those are very, very um, specific and um, uh, very uh, – I know my brother-in-law has a job that just a handful of people do worldwide. Whenever he loses a job, it's easy to get a job because what he does – is so different and, and and such a specialty within a specialty, if you will, in the tech and, and computer world. Um, so so what what do you think about that? Because I think there are people that think about well, manufacturing. You know, hey, you know, we got technology, but we need both. Yeah, that's a good question. And, and look, it is true that productivity automation uh, definitely caused some jobs to go away. You think about it. You know, a decade ago. Uh, it probably took uh, twice as many people to make an automobile than it does today. Okay, okay, so that's just common sense. But that's been a fixture of the United States economy since the end of World War II. What, the reason why we've been able to keep growing jobs is, A, our economy has been growing, and, B, we've, we've had a trade surplus or balanced trade. What has changed over the last 15 years is that we've had two recessions uh, and that we've also had – uh, a, a massive trade deficit. And so our part of the, the global pie uh, is, is not as big as it once was. And so keep those robots coming, keep that automation coming. Uh, we should be able to generate more jobs as long as we have balanced trade and as long as our economy is growing. I think to look, look up the coast from here, just Silicon Valley, Elon Musk, Tesla factory. There are these amazing industrial robots. It's look, it looks like it's out of the Terminator in this factory, there's also 3,000 people there, 3,000 people uh, doing work, building these really cool automobiles. And so we're going to always need workers, and the question is, are we going to have the right incentives to locate those factories in the United States of America? That's really the thing that matters the most. Uh, We have a lot of tweets on very different things. We have less than one minute. Final thing you want to say to folks uh, regarding uh, this and maybe regarding uh, China, which we talked about just briefly today. Yeah, I think the lesson for all of this is, is that, you know, I, I want a candidate who understands manufacturing is important. 
uh, who's also not only willing to say things about it during the campaign season, uh, but is willing to make those really tough decisions, uh, really tough decisions, uh, once he or she is president. Uh, and that includes sitting across from, from China at the bargaining table and saying, look, we're, we're really going to shut off access for, um, to, to some of our markets uh, unless you start playing by the rules. I, I think that's the only way to get their attention. And so far, unfortunately, only a fictional candidate, Frank Underwood, uh, <laughs> has ever been willing to do it, Leslie. I am addicted to that, i got to tell you. House of Cards, Scott Paul, the president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing.